Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Preparis, and I'm flying solo today besides my special guest. But before we get to that, a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Dry Robe. So if you were at OCR World Championships or World's Toughest Mudder and you saw people in those long, oversized coats, those are dry robes, and they are awesome. Uh, They're the world's most advanced changing robe. I use mine for cold races, like I just had it on at the Abominable Snowman, uh, Snow Race, um, I use it for you know post race at things like World's Toughest Mudder or OCR World Championships, and then when I'm not using it there, I keep it at home on my couch for a blanket. And then the other re- thing that's awesome about it is again it's a it's a portable changing robe, so I actually carry them to summer races, and it allows me to change in the festival area without having to go like try to cram into a porta potty and and change there. You can also get it customized with logos and your name on them. Uh, so check out Dry Robe. Uh, Awesome product made by some awesome people. Today's episode is actually a special. It's a bonus episode. So this does not count against the way we normally do things. Um, On the line, I have Marco Bedard, the Northman again. Marco, say hi. Hey, how's it going? Awesome. And I wanted to... We're recording this the night before the opening ceremonies of the Winter Olympics. What we wanted to do is basically give a kind of behind-the-scenes look from an athlete perspective of what the Winter Olympics is like from the only person I know who's actually been to the Winter Olympics and is also an OCR athlete. So, um, again, Marco, excited to have you on. Uh, give everyone a quick rundown on the Olympics you went to and kind of how that went for you, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah, uh, I tried to go to the three Olympics, I guess, and uh, the one I went was... Uh, in Vancouver, in my own country, so uh, it was actually in Calhan Valley, which is uh, two and a half hours out of uh, Vancouver in the mountains. Um, that was uh, obviously a great experience uh, all uh, all around, but um, really that was, uh, like I said uh, many times, like a cherry on a big cake. So uh, it was a really great experience, but the whole the whole cake, the whole thing is is the what's make makes it so special. So yeah. Cool. So, you know, you, you can watch the Olympics on TV and, you know, you, you see all the, the action and all, you know, all this stuff. But what we kind of want to focus on for this podcast is kind of the behind the scenes um, of, the, of the athlete's experience at the Olympics. So I'm going to ask a lot of questions. Some of them you may know the answer to, some of them you may not. Um, so let's kind of just start off with, you know, I. I think when I initially think of Olympic athletes, I picture kind of like the scene from Rocky IV where Ivan Drago is in this like very sophisticated training facility and he's out there working out with the best equipment, he's got the best trainers and you know the best nutritionists and all this stuff. What is it really like, right? Do you have, you know, as as an Olympic athlete either at, on the way, you know, trying to make it to the Olympics or after you were selected for the team, did you have like a robust, robust support structure, or is it more like kind of how it is in OCR with kind of everyone's on their own? Yeah, no, actually, uh, there's a there's a really big. Uh, it depends on the country, I guess, uh, and the sport. 
um, every every country has their own uh, favorite sports, if we can say it like that, and their own uh, budgets for things. Um, but I'd say for the the minimal part of it, because biathlon in Canada was not very big. It was actually uh, really small in terms of uh, getting uh, money out of uh, out of the government. Um, so uh, basically, they even at the lowest level uh, of uh, finances. Um, it, it's still really, really well uh, supported in a way that we have uh, uh, doctors and uh, nutritionists and massage therapists and physiotherapists and all these guys that are, they're not like necessarily uh, working for us directly on like only, but they're, they're, uh, they're all services we, uh, we get and they're, they're all people who follow us uh, through like uh, many, many years um, during the training towards the Olympics. So at the very moment where you show some, you know, uh, potential, uh, usually as a junior athlete or um, like early senior years, so uh, after 18, like after or before, depending, uh, normally you're going to get on a on a squad um, and then they're, they're going to take you on from there and um, just put you on a, on a, on a, a little bit of a bigger team and then the the more the the bigger team you get like from provincial to uh national to you know international then the more finances the more um people are going to be surrounding you to really make uh like take the best out of whatever you can do so um this might sound sound weird like that but it's it's actually and we don't feel like it once like when we're in the wheel but really, when you think about it, you think back of it. Um, there's there's so many things. There's so many little you know things around around you that make make you uh, really uh, a better athlete. That um, it's uh, it's pretty impressive uh, how many people want like the same thing, and even in small sports. So um, so yeah, like the, I think the Rocky movie was a little bit of a uh, <laughs> extreme in a way, like it's a Hollywood style, but uh, some of the things, I mean, they do. Obviously, the the, the doping they do in that movie is probably a little bit not <laughs> right, like, right, uh, classic. Right. But uh, yeah, like the the uh, we do a lot of lab stuff in a way that you know we get on a treadmill with uh, all those uh, uh, things on on our like checking out our heart rate or whatever, and uh, so to test every once in a while like our physical abilities, but. Uh, so we do feel like like that a little bit every now and then, but most of the time is actually more like what what Rocky was doing. So more out of our own, and when we're not in a training camp with the national team, we're doing our our stuff and we're just uh, following a, a plan like a a national plan, but on our on our uh, on our side of the country. So a little bit of both, I guess. <laughs> cool. Now when you're I'd say when you're selected for the Olympic team, do they bring everyone together for like a training camp or is it still everyone's training on their own and then you just come together for the actual, the big event? No, no, you do, uh, you do a lot of training camps with uh, the national team and it's actually depending on the sport again, but uh, for uh, our part uh, and I think most endurance sport, uh, you don't really get to the Olympics like, uh, you know, not long ago. Like you, you really make your way towards the Olympics like, two, three, four years in advance and you show up some progress and you show that you're 
because there's really a limited amount of people who can go and it's actually not based on whoever is the best in only the country but in the world so uh, usually in most sports if you uh, if you're the second best athlete in your country but your country is not good like they're they're in the last countries it doesn't matter so it doesn't matter who who you're beating really in your country you need to be still doing uh, qualification on the international level so uh, from from that point, you you still need to do race races on the highest uh, highest level in the years prior. In biathlon, it was uh, anything two years prior was counting towards the qualification of the Olympics. So it really does start like 24 months before the actual um, event, and uh, every every um, result that you 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 do is going to count towards who's going to get qualified. But obviously, the closer the, you are to the uh, the event, the, the more chance you'll get to be the one picked. So uh, if you do, like, you're a 10th on a World Cup uh, two years before, and, uh, like, the month before uh, uh, another guy gets, like, 15th at a World Cup and you haven't done anything better than that, like, obviously, it's the, the, the guy that's stronger at that time of the year, but... It still does count, like uh, every single race you do. So, and we do a lot of you know races and training camps together. We do train on our side of the country for biathlon. It was east and west usually, but we we sh- we show up together every now and then and and do lots of tests tests and and to figure out where we are against the other guys in the country in around North America or in the, in the in Europe. And then from then we go back home and work on whatever we need to work. So. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big, uh, big wheel to, to roll in. Cool. So if you're selected for one of these, you know, one of these programs that is earmarking you as, you know, a possible Olympic uh, contender. So, you know, you're two or three years out is the, is the government or is it the, like a biathlon, like a Canadian biathlon association that's, you know, are they paying for your gear and, you know, provide like more like dual sponsors type stuff? Uh, it's a little bit of both, I guess. Um, once you're, uh, as soon as you're, um, targeted as a potential athlete. So that could be, uh, in our sport, it can, it can be as early as like 14, 15 years old. Um, the federation is gonna, is gonna see whatever you're doing. If you win a, whatever, a big race for your age or something and the, the, the different governments. So the like provincial government, up to the national um, government are gonna they have programs to help athletes uh, progress throughout their their younger career and then there, there's different level from there uh, that you you can get some kind of uh, um, like uh, some money to to really either help your uh, your uh, coach uh, so that he can give you uh, better uh, uh, training or better time more time whatever or really help you directly to go do a race or a training camp or something like that, or at a, like all those different levels are, are, are just going to bring you uh, more opportunities usually. It's still an amateur sport, like biathlon is really amateur sport, so um, there's really not a lot of people actually making money, but the more you climb up in the ranks, the more money you'll get to uh, do those uh training like important training camps or or important races that you need to do to in order to get a, a good result in order to get to a bigger race and etc so it's 
um, it's yeah, like at, at some some levels, um, the federation is uh, is um, um, they they have a, a budget from the government, um, so uh, and then they manage their own budget, and, and then they have sponsors that that sponsor the federation itself, and in all sport for gear and all that stuff, uh, it's all personal. So the the federation does not uh, provide the actual gear except for. Uh, the, the 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 clothing so that we're we're all uh, uh, you know Imagine. putting the same national team clothes uh, but for skis and, and boots and guns and all the rest uh, it's uh, usually up to us but some you know some federations some countries some sports they have they have uh, deals with companies directly so uh, as soon as you're on a national team you'll get like this and that or whatever and I guess that's kind of that for us too but only for for really good showing for uh, for uh, clothing. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's a little bit of everything. And then, uh, once you get in that super small margin in our sport, in our sport, there was really like, uh, six to 10 spots where you, you actually got a, a direct, um, uh, salary, if you can say like that, like it's actually, um, the, um, uh, the same as welfare is that yeah, so uh, I'm not sure. stipend. Yeah, it's so basically it's a monetary stipend to take care of your yeah, personal yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. So and yeah, and but that money is really just uh, enough to to pay for food and and your whatever you, wherever you're staying. <laughs> you're and, like scraping uh, by. Yeah, so you still pay for your travels, uh, which is always weird. Uh, you still pay for to go to World Cups to represent your country, which is always pretty frustrating but um but at the end you always you know it's probably better i'm happy i went through this because it's, it's i didn't make a lot of money uh doing that sport so in a way you, you, like the, the ones doing it are doing it for passion like for because they love it so it's not really uh professional in a way but um but yeah once you get there it's it's still better because you actually uh you're not losing money so that's a that's a big step from uh the years before where you were you were really like always losing money and just trying to, you know, get to that level. So cool. Yeah. I think that that clears up a lot. Cause I think again, you know, we see, you know, maybe for like the summer Olympics, you know, there's basketball players who are making millions of dollars and then they, they come together, form a team and they play for a little bit and then they go back. Right. And they have all this, they have all this yeah. support and they have all this money. And, um, on top of that, some of them have sponsors on top of that. So, um, yeah, yeah. I think that. Yeah, but really, the Olympics is uh, mostly, you know, most of the sports are for amateurs. So it's um, what pe- people think because you're at the Olympics, you're you're like a super athlete, and they put you in the same categories, you know, football players or hockey players or all those professional sports, which is not the case for probably ninety percent of the sports that are at the Olympics. And actually, these Olympics um, for in Canada, hockey is is the biggest you know lucrative sport and for the first time in 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 the the recent i guess era of the olympics um hockey will be uh amateur so uh, oh, really the, the profession, yeah the professionals are not uh going to be at the olympics so that's a that's a first thing and that's the first time they do that and uh that's gonna change the game quite a bit and it's gonna make things um quite interesting in a way just because you know, it, it was like you said, those all those professional guys making millions, they have contracts and they like some of them get to go, some of them don't from the contract and then they just get together, they play, they win a medal, whatever, and then they go 
you know, they go back home. Some of them, I'm sure, are, are super happy and it's part of the, the dream, but they're still not in the same really, um, you know, life category in a way as, as the other athlete. But, you know, in a way it's, 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 uh, it was interesting, uh, in Vancouver, um, to meet some of the, you know, biggest stars in my country, uh, hockey players, uh, in person and, and they were actually, um, you know, like they knew, um, it didn't seem like they were over anyone else and they they it definitely showed that they they had respect for everyone around them because they i guess probably they knew that you know they're making millions and all those people around them are working just as much as them if not more and they're you know like <laughs> they have in trouble just to pay the rent so um but it, it was kind of cool to you know, to have them go to us and talk to us and, you know, be like, I'm not a big fan of hockey, but like big enough that, you know, I know how big that is. And, um, but yeah, so that's, it's, uh, you, the people who actually make like big, a lot of money, you'll know it because they win everything and they have all those big sponsors, but pretty much everyone else is just there. Like I was, you know, like, um, just for the passion of it. And, uh, you know, they some of them make some money, but it's not it's not like a career where you can do that for four years as either like except for super big exceptions. So yeah, it's a, it's interesting uh, mix of people that go to Olympics. <laughs> so I know pre pre sometime in the '90s it was amateur only, and if you were a professional, you couldn't compete in the Olympics. Now you okay. you said that the amateurs are competing again this year. Is that a Canadian decision or was that an Olympic decision? No, that's the Olympic uh, decision, uh, and that's uh, I know it's really uh, uh, controversial because uh, it's it's not really you know professional can't go because it's not because uh, that that would be a fine line where you know what what is a professional and and all that stuff, but it's more um, towards uh, NHL and um, uh, the Russian um, Federation yep. or something like that. So. So there's a lot of, you know, professional guys who are in a way professional, but it's they're not as big in a way. Like I don't know, like in in European countries or like you know Czech Republic or where there's actually big federations of hockey um, that are gonna be allowed to play. But uh, you know, if you're in the NHL, you can't. So it's it's more federation uh, boycott or I don't know how to call it. And I'm not super uh, super. Um, um, you know, uh, I, I haven't read the whole report. I just actually uh, kind of learned it on on the spot. But um, but yeah, I don't know. So it's I know it's going more towards that, towards amateur um, than professional. But uh, we'll see more uh, once the the game starts, I guess. Yeah, I'll definitely definitely be paying attention and looking into that uh, once the game starts. So speaking of that, so the opening ceremony. Did you go to the opening ceremony when you went to the Olympics? No, no, I, w- I went to the, the closing, but uh, I wasn't there for the opening. My race was too far, and the Federation didn't let me go, so that's a, that's a bummer, but at the same time, it's, it's for the be- better uh, for, uh, for uh, my performances. That's crazy. I, I, so I was, my next question was going to be, does everyone march, and then what determines kind of who's out there marching and who's not? So. Yeah, uh, no, basically it's... Um, I think it's a little bit of both like a personal and, and a federation choice. It, it depends when you race and, and all that stuff, but it's uh 
it's actually a big, a really big process. Uh, it's like the security involved into that and all the different uh, things you have to go through and all the waiting and it's uh, hours and hours of be- like before you you actually get in because everything needs to be you know uh, perfect for the, the organization. So usually you know you you won't really uh, see the, the the big athlete that are racing in the next few days after the opening um so uh and biathlon was one of them um like the first races on the first day and uh the the their last biathlon races on the the very like all the not the last day but the day before uh so those races all all, uh all the during the two weeks so it's one of those sports where uh that could make a big difference if you start fatigued right away off the off the start and it's you know it's it's kind of a it's a big show it's kind of you know if you wanted to do the biggest two weeks of your life and you would go to a to a rock show like right before your your uh your two week starts like it in a way it doesn't really make sense to go um so i was you know i was a little bit bummed about it but at the same time it's it's part of the game and you're not there for that you're there for for competing and and once your races are done then you you definitely can uh, enjoy but um the, the sports like that, there's so many events that you can't really uh, enjoy too much. Some sports, they race the first couple of days and then just one one race and then they're done. So they stay there for a couple of weeks and they have fun. But um, it's uh, usually an endurance sport and it's not really the case. Yeah, not, I mean, now that we talk about it, it makes a lot of sense. Because, I mean, marching that many people in an organized fashion, you know, by country has got to be a disaster, right? You got to be – they must be standing yeah. for hours going into that. Yeah, going into yeah. what you see on TV, and you know, I've been a part of fairly large movement, like division change of command type stuff for the military, and you know, yeah. it's just like it looks nice to an outside observer, but to like the guys, I think the Olympics would be different, but to the guys standing in like a, a change of command type thing, it's it's usually pretty awful. We're usually pretty people are pretty upset, yeah. and uh, you know, having to compete in a event the next day would be not the best taper, yeah. so. No, no, exactly, and and I mean, uh, everyone is allowed to go to the closing, and the closing is the big show usually. And uh, but I, I I was I was extremely happy to see that as uh, at least because uh, you see it on TV and you're like, yeah, whatever, like it's uh, you know we won't go. Like you know in advance, like for for years, it's it's clear that biathlon is not going to the to the opening anyways. Um, but um, but then the closing, like was. What you see there, or I guess it's the same for the opening. It's uh, it's it's pretty impressive. So that's a, that's a part of the the whole experience for sure. Cool. So obviously, Olympics, huge deal, once every four years. You know, can you talk to us a little bit about the your pre-event nerves and kind of what you know what maybe you do to to keep those calm? Because I know I have a lot of nerves just going into something like World's Toughest Mudder, which occurs every year, and I get to. You know, if, if I have a bad year, I get to go back in the next year. Versus, yeah. you know, a once which could be a, you know a once in a lifetime event for some people. Um, can you just talk about how you dealt with that and what that's like? Yeah, um, that's uh, actually that that was a little bit smoother than uh, than I um, anticipated. I guess um, you know, like coming for uh, from years and years and years of doing the same thing. Um, it's uh, once you get there, like you think it's gonna be, you're gonna, you know, uh, piss your pants or whatever. But it's, 
it's just like another race. Like it's just a, and, and I think, um, I had the opportunity to do actually like bigger races in a way, like with more people, with more spectators, um, in Europe. Um, and you know, the biggest races in Viathlon have over 40,000 people like, uh, on the race, like on the, it's like the whole, uh, ski course is filled with layers and layers of people. And, uh, it's so, it's so, uh, heavy. It's so impressive that after that, once you've seen those races and, uh, in Eastern Europe is the same. It's, it's kind of, you know, it takes the nerves down on whatever else you're going to do. And once you're on, on, you know, it's stressful, like the days before, but at the same time, there's so many things, uh, to see. There's so many people, there's so many sports, there's so many things happening, uh, so much, you know, all the security going to the events and back and just, just going to your training, like going breakfast in the morning, then you go to your training. It's so complicated. It it just like takes all your um, your attention everywhere else, which is actually dangerous because you want to concentrate on on competing. But at the same time, it it's it feels like it takes the nerves down just because you're not focusing exactly on what you're gonna do uh, because there's all those things happening. So like you 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 don't even think about it and, and you're already there. Like you're on the starting line and you you're like wow, there's like it's already it's already the moment to, to race, and, and once you're there, it's uh, it's automatic. Uh, it's really – I have a funny story um, that I, I had a concussion once in a race, uh, uh, in a, like at the early – under the first – the second lap of a five-lap race, race, and uh, and I, I, I lost uh, consciousness during the race. And I still did a full lap, four kilometers, in like 27 minutes, which is usually like – five or uh, seven minutes, but uh, I did a full lap. I shot five rounds without being conscious, like being, <laughs> I, I have no memories of that. And I had a panic attack after that when, when the, it came back cause it came back to me right where I, where I lost it. So it's a, it's a weird story, but at the same time it shows how when you've done something for thousands and thousands of times, it just becomes become, you know, um, yeah, robotic. Like it's automatic. So uh, as soon as the gun starts, you know, you start and you don't even realize your race is done and you've done, you've done the, an Olympic race and it it was not different than another race. You know, like it's uh, it's really the same exact thing. And I think that whole thing, the whole team prepares you for that as well. And you know, going to all those big races, the like the World Cup circuit and all that, it's. It's uh, it prepares you for the best, and and uh, after that, it's just you know, it's just candy. All all of that Olympic stuff is you know layers and layers of, we say in French, we say butter. Like it it's it's it makes it bigger than than it is. Like everything is big, but once you race, it's a it's a race like in just in any other race. And I think OCR is the same. Like whatever whatever you, race you do, like whatever level, whatever country, once you you start. I mean, it's there's different obstacles and all that, so that changes, but it's still a race. You still give your best. You still know how to run. You still ought to know how to this, this and that. So uh, it all becomes automatic, and that's uh yeah, it's impressive to see. But um, cool, good, yep. an- good answer. Um, so you know, with you being a biathlete, I'm sure that's going to spur some interest in the bi- biathlon over the next couple of days from some of our listeners. So. Give us a rundown of, you know, what biathlon consists of, you know, how, 
how far is the distance, uh, if there's different types of events, and then kind of, you know, the breakdown of what happens when you miss and you shoot, when you shoot and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, biathlon is actually um, a pretty cool sport, and I'm sure uh, most of uh, the listeners are American, and uh, I think it's a really, in a way, American sport. Uh, Europeans love it. Um, American, like the ones who know it, they love it, but it's a, it's a really unknown sport in North America. Um, but um, it's a, it's basically skiing, cross-country skiing, in the technique of skating, we call. So there's two techniques for cross-country skiing. There's like in the tracks where you keep your feet together and it's like walking a little bit. And there's the one that you're like speed skating uh, with poles, basically. And that's the technique we take for that sport. So that sport is really only about skate skiing with a rifle in your back. It's a 22 caliber uh, rifle, but it's it's not your average, you know, uh, I, I was about to say Canadian Tire, but Walmart or, you know, a uh, random $200 rifle. It's really a, a really, really uh, fine-tuned um, biathlon rifle. It's made for that, and it's made for, for uh, competing in, in high or super low temperature um, the, the, the rifle itself is a piece of work, really. It's, uh, and it's uh, worth a, a lot of money for, for a 22 caliber. Um, but, uh, it's, it's part of what makes it so special because cross country skiing, as, uh, not many very people know, is one of the hardest, um, physical sport, um, in all the sports. And then you combine it to a completely different sport where it's, it's not physical at all. It's really uh, like about 80% mental, um, and the rest is technical. So sport with the shooting. So, um, so for those who have hunted or, uh, you know, uh, been in army or, uh, you know, been in situation where your heart rate is pumping and you need to, 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 you know, think quick and, and shoot something or, or do something like, uh, really, really specific, really precise, uh, you kind of know what it is. It's that, kind of feeling but in a competitive um thing so so yeah for so there's like uh i think now there's seven distances um they added one uh, since uh two like i think two years ago um there's so there's two relays and teams team events so one is for for two person uh, a male and a female um there's a, a four men or four women team so that's i guess there's three team events and there's one two men and two women. So yeah, there's three, three team events. Um, and the other ones are individual events. It's a mainly an individual sport. You cannot help yourself or, you know, you don't follow yourself. You, you really do a single race yourself and then you, you give a relay, um, uh, tag if it's in a team race. Um, so the main team race is, uh, is a same sex, uh, four male or four females. Uh, first male goes, uh, does, uh, three laps like he does all his race which is 7.5 kilometers and then he gives the tag to the, the second uh, skier and then four, uh, third and fourth and the first team to finish is the, the first fourth person who finished the race for the team events if you miss a target so you have two sets of uh, targets uh, five targets every time to hit and uh, you have extra bullets um, yeah, so you have three extra bullets every time, so you really, really have eight bullets to, to hit five targets. Um, so that changes the game a lot for team races because people are shooting a lot faster 
and that can be interesting to see. And then if they still do miss after those eight bullets, then they have to do uh, penalties. Um, and then um, all the individual events, there's the longest one is 20 kilometers for for uh, uh, shooting, and the shortest is uh, 10 kilometers. Um, so there's uh, 10, 12.5, 15, and 20 for males, and uh, around the same a little bit less for, for females. Um, the shortest distance is a sprint, uh, two shootings. So you shoot once uh, prone, which is uh, uh, laying down on the carpet, um, shooting at the little... Uh, um, in Canada, it's easy. It's, uh, the, the, the target is as big as a, a loony, so uh, a toonie, so uh, $2, which is uh, uh, about an inch and a half diameter. Um, so probably it's like really a, small. Probably like a silver dollar for Americans. Maybe. Okay, yeah, I wouldn't know. But, uh, yeah, it's about an inch and a half. Um, wide, uh, you'll see at the Olympics, I guess they're probably going to explain that. Uh, and you shoot at uh, 50 meters, 150 feet without uh, any kind, type of uh, uh, scope. So uh, there's just that hole you look into and that little round dot you look at the target in. So nothing helps you, basically. So that makes it extremely hard because that you really need to align for those those three little round um, circles to, to hit the target once you're tired and if, the, if it's windy you need to adjust yourself and, and all that so so yeah and then you should standing as well to two positions and uh, yeah there's all those bunch of races but really the team races and uh, the, what they call the mass start are the, the two uh, like more fun to watch um, the pursuit pursuit is fun to watch as well you start after you know, the time you had from the sprint. So, yeah, it's um, it's a little bit complicated, but at, at the end, it's really you, you ski loops and you shoot. Them. And then if you miss, you do penalties. If you don't, you go ahead and, and get get away from the others. So uh, it's, it's also of, of, of fun. And, uh, yeah, you should look into it. The Americans are, are doing amazing this, these last few years as well. So are the Canadians. Um, so it's uh, it's fun to watch and cheer cheer for your countries, but the big countries are yeah th- that's a sport where the really big countries are professionals as well. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I don't know if that answer that's a long answer with lots of info, but uh, yeah, you, you should look into it. That that's easier that way, I think. <laughs> now that, that's pretty good. So Google is telling me that a silver dollar is an inch in diameter, so basically one okay. and a, one and a half times the silver dollar, and the yeah, pretty much. The 50 cent coin with uh, the one with John F. Kennedy on it that I had a couple growing up uh, that I haven't seen in years is 1.2 inches. So maybe okay. that's the one's a little bit closer. Yeah, um, yeah. So for the for the sprint courses and then the the you know the 20k, how long does you know how long is a how long is it taking for the I wouldn't say average, yeah. but. Uh, um. The first, uh, the first guys are gonna do. It's really close. Like uh, those races are super close from each other. Um, I was uh, once I was seventeenth, uh, uh, um, and I was I think thirteen seconds from the st- from the first guy. Jeez. Uh, so th- these races are really really close. And the best guys for a sprint, which is ten kilometers and two shootings, uh, are gonna do it around you know twenty two minutes, um, including everything. Um, and, uh, and yeah, the, you know, the top 30 guys are all going to be within like a minute or two usually. 
and uh and then the longer distances uh like uh, the individual uh, 20 kilometers is going to be around 50 minutes um so uh and uh, the penalties for the, the that distance only like the individual they call the really long distance is like the classic one that that used to be the military biathlon and all that and they kind of kept it with minutes of penalty with uh, instead of uh, loops so if you do miss a target you get a, a an extra minute right away on your on your uh, on your clock so you don't need to you know ski in a, a, a little bit of a like a little loop but you you get a, an extra minute which is like a lot more than a, a loop which uh, when you miss usually you do a, a 150 meter uh, penalty loop which is I guess like 400 feet 350 feet um, so it's, it takes 20, 22 seconds to do one loop. And, uh, so for that event, you, you get a minute, a full minute. So you usually shoot a little bit sh- slower and especially uh, you have 20 targets to shoot down. Uh, you can, it can go, uh, can go down pretty fast in the, in the, the, uh, results. So, um, and usually the best guys are, they're going to always shoot, uh, on average at around 90%, uh, like on a season, on a full season, um, so, uh, so obviously to perform, unless you're like, uh, one of the top skiers, you need to shoot, you know, always 90, 90% up and, uh, up to a hundred percent and yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, that answered another one of my questions. So you mentioned it a little bit at the, at, at the beginning when we started talking about biathlon, but these rifles are, I mean, they're pretty expensive, right? Like what's, what would be the, a beginner level entry cost for one of these rifles? Uh, level entry is, um, I think, uh, there's actually, there's uh, two companies, uh, there's a few more, I guess, uh, but there's two big companies that have, um, kind of a monopoly. It's a, a Russian company, uh, called Ismash. Uh, it's the same company that, that, that used to do the uh, AK-47, I guess. Um, and those, those rifles are, are the cheapest ones, and I think you can get in Canadians about 1200 bucks. Uh, so probably around a thousand dollars, you can get a, a entry level um, uh, biathlon rifle, which is a really low quality, I, I'd say. But um, but still, like usually the clubs, little like local clubs, they they have a bunch of those, and uh, it's pretty rare that someone starts biathlon and, and buys a rifle. They usually go to a club and and they sign up, and then they can kind of rent it, um, and they do that for a few years before they actually buy a rifle and. Uh, and, but then after that, if you, you know, if you want a little bit of a better quality, uh, you go with a, it's a German company called Inchus, and they, uh, they have probably 95% of the, of the World Cup market, so the, the big athletes are all with the same, the same, uh, uh basic rifle, and then they modify it, uh, and this rifle would be more around $2,500. Um, so, like, from, from the, from the factory, but after that, it's uh you don't see a lot of athlete on the World Cup with a, a stock rifle, so you can uh, you can play with it quite a bit. There's there's laws uh, rules to follow, I guess, but the, the, there's still a lot of things you can do and uh, change and you know make it you know better and uh, like play, put well, play with the weight is the the main thing. You have a, a, a minimum of 3.5 kilo to to uh, to, to 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 keep. And then there's, there's a minimum, uh, pressure you have to keep on your, uh, on your trigger. Uh, oh. yeah. So. That was going to be my but, next question. What's the trigger pressure at the minimum? Uh, 
I should know that, but I can't remember. <laughs> oh, okay. It's been too long. Yeah. Uh, but it's not extremely like it's uh, usually like uh, hunters or they are uh, they are they always um, uh, they shoot uh, uh, like their trigger is is heavier than ours. So the the minimum is actually. I think in memory, I think it's like 50 grams or something, but I could be wrong. Like I, I've done it a, like a hundreds, hundreds of times. Every single race, like they test it, um, and if you're like under, you need to to crank it up a little bit. But um, uh, yeah, I can't remember. Because I know I've shot I've shot some like competition type rifles, and they have triggers of like a pound or a half pound, where it's like you almost breathe on okay. it and it goes off. And then I know I for like the military. Or and what like kind of most I think normal rifles use is more like a nine to ten pound trigger. So it's like oh you know I mean, it's 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 heavy. Like you need to like when you yeah. pull the trigger, you you need to pull the trigger. Yeah, but uh, no, it's definitely not that. It I said fifty, but it's definitely not fifty. It's probably uh, uh, I'll, I'll I'll find it on yeah. With concussion, I'll find it somewhere. <laughs> I'm I'm googling it right now. Let's see what uh, let's see if I can yeah. pull something up real quick. Uh... The trigger pull must be greater than 1.1 pounds, which is 500 oh, grams. 500 grams, okay, yeah. That's yeah. like that's still really light. Like, yeah, no, that's what that's what I said. Like usually, people uh, the couple times I went for for hunting or whatever with even good rifle, I was I was like, wow, this is this is a heavy, uh, uh, but it's still like biathlon is still a accurate, uh, like a precision sport, so it's. It couldn't be like super heavy as well, but um, for yeah, for yeah, it's I don't know, it's maybe too light, but it's uh, it's the the rule it, uh, there is. So the everyone's putting it right away like five ten or something, so that they they're okay, but uh, they're still like they don't need to to push, they don't need to use muscles at all anywhere to to shoot. Right. Yeah, I thought it might be a little bit heavier because you're carrying it around on your back and it's being jostled, but I mean. It's not like you're carrying it loaded, right? Like you stop, no, no, put no, a right. around in, you know, yeah. shove the bolt forward, and then literally touch the trigger. For those for those of you who never shot a one point one pound trigger, it's like it's literally like touching the trigger, and it'll yeah. it'll shoot. Yeah. yeah, for you know, and once once you shot a uh, like over a hundred thousand rounds, I guess you you think it's you always feel it's heavy. <laughs> That's what's funny about it. Like you're so used to it because it's it's mechanical. Like it's not a uh, you know, there's nothing automatic. You really uh, mechanically pull off the tri- the the the, the oh, in English um, like that uh, mechanism to to take the bullet off, and then you push it back in. So it's 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 all mechanic movement. And once you're on it, you you don't feel it light. You really uh, you wish it was lighter. Because you get you get so much feeling on your on your uh, like your your brain uh, to finger, um, uh, the reaction from your brain to your to your eyes to your finger is gets like really really sharp. So uh, you just want you know like nothing in the way. And if you could shoot with your eyes, you would do it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So a uh, couple more questions, and we'll wrap this up. So, if an OCR athlete wanted to get into, you know, winter Olympic type sports, not necessarily competing at the highest level, just something to do, you know, as an additional wintertime hobby, you know, is there any sport you would recommend over other Yeah, uh, obviously, uh, skiing uh, does lots of uh, of friends. I guess uh, OCR is there's lots of people like that 
don't have really access to uh to snow or or ice that much but um for uh, anyone that that does um i mean i've been skiing all my life and i i i'm so impressed to see the that many ocr people that you know don't really come from sports or whatever and they've done ocr and then we became friend, friends and then they end up buying skis and uh we have so many friends that never skied before and they've been skiing for a few years and now you know they're trying races and all that um it's a it's a wonderful sport and it's actually uh we we've been asked a lot like when when we were really doing well in OCR uh like what do you do to you know different to make that make you uh that makes you good and uh lots of people didn't understand that we didn't run much like we really didn't run much and we, we were skiing roll skiing in the summer and skiing on snow in the winter and just show up at races and still we were doing really really good um and i think that a, a big part of it is because it's so soft on your body it's so hard physically but it's so soft like on your joints and and uh like it's not a impact sport so like like running and trailing and ocr even worse um so i think it's a it's a great way to to keep a really highly uh level shape and change you know it changes your your mindset as well uh when you especially if you have to learn it and then uh when you're trying to to train in it or uh, uh it's it's not going to hurt you and it it really does make you better so whether like keep keeping running 12 months a year is is a lot of repetition on on your joints and on your on your body it's it's taking a toll on yourself and even in your head because you're you're doing that that same thing every every uh every day and every like you know step so um so i think it's good to to get out of your comfort zone and and uh, try different sports but um it's a yeah skiing is fairly easy for those who have uh skiing uh, area in their in their uh uh like skiing clubs or um places they can rent skis and stuff um but you know there's always uh, uh snowshoe running which is actually gaining lots of popularity and for runners it's uh it's uh it's pretty simple you just need to get snowshoes and they make you you make your tracks and after that you just keep keep running in your in your tracks and uh to to uh to, to take the snow down and uh it's a it's another really fun way to run in the woods uh without any you know there's not anything in your way you just run whatever you want and between the trees you don't need a, tra- a trail so that's an interesting way to to train in the winter as well, and we do lots of that for sure. So yeah, that'd be two. Uh, I guess that's mostly not at the Olympics, but um, skiing is. So I would definitely say skiing. Yeah, I've never done I've never done cross country skiing. Obviously, I've done I've done plenty of I won't say obviously, but I've done plenty of downhill skiing. Uh, yeah, growing yeah. up, and I ha- I did get to do snowshoeing last year. Oh no, I'm sorry, it's three years ago now in Lebanon. And it was pretty awesome. Just kind of, we were just kind of hiking around the middle of the mountains. So it was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, that's definitely fun. And if you if you've downhill skied, uh, another one that's not in the Olympics, but uh, uh, ski mo uh, ski monitoring is uh, is an amazing sport as well. Like uh, it's a little bit like a mix between cross uh, um, uh, trail running and uh, cross country skiing and alpine skiing. So you you go up with skins and take your skins off and you go down and uh, there's 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 big big events uh, all around the all around Canada and even in the U.S. Uh, on the west coast and east coast 
There's a bunch of races. That's uh, that's super fun to super fun sport as well, and extremely extremely hard on your body, uh, not a, a, in the impact form, but again like skiing uh, in the in the physical uh, part. So that's uh, that's another great sport. Yeah, the closest I've come to cross country skiing is I remember being with my parent, my dad at the bottom, and my sister at the bottom of like a ski mountain, and like you're too far away from the chairlift, so you gotta like skate ski. Yeah. Yeah, to yeah. get to it, and I remember, I remember like only going like a hundred yards, and then being like, "That was terrible. Like, yeah. why would you cross country ski? What a terrible sport." So but I was you a know, kid I at think the, time. the same though. I think the same. If I go for downhill skiing and I need to ski from like one part to the other, like the equipment is not made for that. But once you once you try it, you know, like both my skis and my boots are lighter than your just only one of your boots basically and that's ah. and that's the truth like it's a like a whole a full kit of cross country skiing at like a top level i guess is about a kilo um so uh or 2 kilos i guess the two boots and two skis so it's uh, it's super light you don't you don't even feel it so yeah <laughs> and my my only my only experience with biathlon is playing the atari 2600 uh biath winter sports it was oh, a winter yeah. olympics video game have you played that <laughs> yeah oh yeah oh yeah that's awesome there's, there's a bunch of games uh like most of them are in german because the germans are so uh into biathlon but there's a bunch of like actually recent games uh where you can you can play biathlon but it's yeah it's, it's uh, pretty fun it's a pretty, for those of you listening. It's a pretty basic game. Like I think you move the joystick left and right to like skate ski, and yeah. then the shooting part was basically like a black square on the middle of the screen, and then like a dot would go up and down, and you got to press the button when the when it's in the middle. <laughs> yeah, when it's in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. So, Almost all right, cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so last question, Olympic specific. I've heard that people let loose after, at least for the Summer Olympics, I'm assuming it's the same for the winter, that people let loose after their event's over, right? Because they've been training yeah, and preparing yeah. and so focused for four years that, like, it turns into, like, worse than a college party. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, I and, in, the, in the Summer Olympics <laughs> as well. But, you know, you're not asking the right guy because uh, basically by F1 we raised um, – the last, like, like uh, Vancouver was was uh, finishing on the 23rd, I think, and the 22nd was our our, uh, our last race. Um, so you, your last race is basically the end of the Olympics. So you you do let loose, but at the same time you finish the Olympics, and then two weeks later you're on the World Cup again. So uh, so yeah, but we're I think we were a different animal than anyone else because everyone else was all like. Ah, season's over, party, and you know, like uh, they didn't they didn't care, and they they played all those games and they did all those <laughs> parties and whatever. But uh, at the Olympics, yes, a little bit, but mostly uh, mostly after, because most sports, uh, the Olympics is, is their last event, you know, of the season, and for for a lot of those athletes, it's their last event of their life, maybe. So uh, they really, I think, they really want to, like you said, let loose and forget about it and just enjoy the moment um but yeah for for individual sports uh endurance sports or at least biathlon that's uh yeah that's a different uh that's a different ball game a little bit but uh i still got to get to get uh to to see the the last uh hockey game in uh vancouver which was uh 
which was uh, pretty pretty awesome. So that's that's definitely a high of uh, of my of my career, even though it's not even in biathlon. <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, that's uh, that's that's true. That's uh, definitely true. But <laughs> not, not in uh, our case. But most most sports for sure. Okay, so before we let you go, do you know when the biathlon is going on this year? Do you know the dates off the top of your head by any chance? Uh, not off my head, but uh, it's usually every two days because um, the males and females are are uh, rarely on the same day. So there's like uh, twelve races total, or even fourteen maybe now um, in fourteen days. So uh, yeah, like every sometimes two days in a row, but every two days usually there's an event. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a really long uh, um, time change uh, there, but it's uh, the races are at night uh, over there, so I think it's gonna be during the day for us North Americans, uh, which could be uh, could be good. But uh, yeah, you should uh, definitely check it out, and uh, it's a uh, it's an exciting sport and cross country skiing as well. But I think for for a, a, a looker for a, a spectator, it's uh, biathlon is. It is one of the the fun sports uh, to watch. Like it's more theatrical in a way, and uh, there's a lot of changes happening. So, but before you look at it, uh, Google it maybe, or, or try to see. Sometimes before the races, they're going to explain it. Uh, that's that's a good thing to do uh, before, so you, you kind of know what's going on. Uh, for that, and that goes for all the sports because it's it's you know people like like football and hockey or whatever because they know what's going on. But then they they they, they look at a at bobsled and they're like ah, ah that's cool and then uh, five minutes later they're bored and they have no idea what's going on so i think it's a good thing to try to find different sports and know how it works before you you try to understand it and uh, then you enjoy it a lot better yeah absolutely i know you know i think for the average similar but different like the average person watching cycling it's just a bunch of guys sitting on their bikes yeah you know pedaling in circles but the um there's actually a lot of strategy and a lot of like you know, there's a lot of intricacies with, you know, what jerseys you go for and yeah. drafting and, you know, teams helping out teams and there's a sprinters team and there's a the team competing for a GC. So I think anytime you learn a little bit more about a sport, it definitely makes it more enjoyable to watch. Totally. And I, you know, I, I mean, I know the basic rules of football, but I'm, I, I don't get into it that much. So it, yeah. Um, like I'd rather watch the Tour de France than uh, football, yeah. which. Yeah, same here. <laughs> <laughs> probably gonna get a bunch of angry emails for that, but. That's the way it is. Um, yeah. And then, so last question, do you have any friends uh, that are racing that we should be cheering for? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, all the Americans and the Canadians are uh, good friends, long-time friends. Um, the Canadians, I, I, I guess, uh, there's one guy that's still uh, my age in a way, uh, but uh, the other guys are, are younger, but uh, they, they were uh, they were racing, uh, uh, you know, when I was uh, finishing my career as well, so going to be their first olympics uh for the canadian team uh, there's only one guy who went before so that's gonna that's gonna be a young team uh and the, the americans there's a couple of older guys uh, a couple of guys that that could do uh really well as well and uh and then obviously all the all the europeans uh yeah we've it's a it's a small uh it's a big sport but it's a small sport like anything else like once you're in it and you're at the high level you're around the same guys all the time so you get to know uh, a lot of people but yeah, I think I'm getting old, so there's less and less of the guys that you know I used to race with. But um, uh, there's more and more younger guys. But that's a that's a good thing, I guess. So, uh, so yeah, no, just uh, just cheer for your country and uh, and give it a you know give it a thumbs up. Uh, and uh, and if if you, if you get the chance to see some races, 
uh, and understand the sport, uh, you'll definitely see that, uh, especially Americans and Canadians for those uh, uh, in in those countries. That's uh, that's fun because it's a, it's an unknown sport. So if if you haven't heard about a biathlon and then you get to learn about it at the Olympics, uh, then just follow those follow those athletes. They're they're not used to it. They they don't have any attention from anyone. So uh, it's a it's it's always good to have a little bit of a new new people uh you know learning about the sports and enjoying it it's a beautiful sport definitely so well that was awesome uh marco thanks again for coming on in such short notice uh for those of you listening i messaged him i think like two days ago and he's like i'm in ecuador uh hit me back hit me back in a couple of days and i was like all right i want to get it out before the olympics start so <laughs> uh th- thanks for the last minute no problem and Thanks for sharing all that insight. Definitely cool and definitely unique coming from someone who's actually been there and done that. Um, any final shout-outs or plugs you want to give before we take off? Yeah, it's all good. Just uh, look into uh, Northman if you want a taste of an uh, Olympic-level uh, OCR race. <laughs> Not That's really, right. But, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you want to hear more about Northman, go back. Uh, Marco was just on like, it was like two episodes ago. Uh, and you can listen to that, and he explains all about his race series and all the other events he has going on. So a lot of cool stuff happening there. And then other than that, um, the Strength and Speed website is now selling bleg mitts. So the gloves created for Ultra OCR, for specifically for things like Spartan Ultra Beast or Toughest Mudder or World's Toughest Mudder, created by World's Toughest Mudder champion Deanna Bleg. It's basically like a neoprene mitten that has like a slot in the side, and you can take your hands out do an obstacle, and then put your hands back in. So the gloves are awesome. I've been wearing them for some of my training runs when it's been real cold, and it keeps your hands warm, but also allows you to you know, kind of open that flap and adjust the temperature and let your hands cool off. So I can't wait to use them for actual OCR, uh, for toughest and world's toughest. Uh, but yeah, we are the sole distributor of them inside the U.S. So head over to teamstrengthspeed.com, head to the online store, and pick yourself up a pair. All right, I think that's it. Marco, thanks again. Thank you. We'll uh, talk to you later. Yep.